scripture passage for today is from the book of Romans, chapter 7, verse 7, through chapter 8, verse 2. What then should we say? That the law is sin? By no means. Yet if it had not been for the law, I would not have known sin. I would not have known what it is to covet if the law had not said, you shall not covet. But sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, produced in me all kinds of covetousness. Apart from the law, sin lies dead. I was once alive apart from the law, but when the commandment came, sin revived and I died. And the very commandment that promised life proved to be death to me. For sin, seizing an opportunity in the commandment, deceived me, and through it killed me. So the law is holy, and the commandment is holy and just and good. Did what is good then bring death to me? By no means. It was sin, working death in me through what is good, in order that sin might be shown to be sin, and through the commandment might become sinful beyond measure. For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am of the flesh, sold into slavery under sin. I do not understand my own actions, for I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now if I do what I do not want, I agree that the law is good, but in fact it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. For I know that nothing good dwells within me, that is, in my flesh. I can will what is right, but I cannot do it. For I do, I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I do. Now if I do what I do not want, it is no longer I that do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, I find it to be a law that when I want to do what is good, evil lies close at hand. For I delight in the law of God in my inmost self, but I see in my members another law at war with the law of my mind, making me captive to the law of sin that dwells in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death? Thanks be to God, through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then, with my mind I am a slave to the law of God, but with my flesh I am a slave to the law of sin. There is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and of death. Please join me in prayer. Father, your word is like a seed, and our hearts are like soil, and so we're asking you to be the good farmer this morning, till up the soil, prepare the ground, so that the seed of your word can be planted, germinate, grow, bear fruit, bear fruit for our lives, for the whole world. In Christ's name we pray, amen. And Paul gets pretty tangled up there, doesn't he? Um, Romans 7 is an unusual passage for baptism, um, but I think it's an important one, especially since the majority of the people I'm talking to have uh, been baptized, not all of you, I'm not assuming, but I am assuming the majority. 
And we all know what the post-baptism life is like. Uh, I, know, I know lots of teenagers. I'm going to tell a story about a teenager. Um, but as I tell this story, don't assume you know which teenager I'm talking about, if you know me. Um, one of the teenagers I happen to know woke up one morning. And you know, being a teenager is about becoming a full self in a way, like becoming an adult. And you're, you're trying to figure out, what does adulthood look like? How do I grow into this? And uh, part of that is just waking up on time and doing things. And so this teenager wakes up and realizes that he's running late. And, uh, and he says, I, why do I always do the thing I don't want to do? And I end up not doing the thing I want to do. And I'm hearing Paul quoted as, as this random teenager who you don't know uh, says this. And, um, and I, I, I know lots and lots of people who identify with that statement. I know a great many people who, who have said it, who have said it without even knowing it was in the Bible, um, who describe it in a sort of um, despairing sense. But I want, to, I want to offer that this statement of Paul, this lament, let's just call it a lament, is the beginning of hope. It's not the whole story, but it's the beginning of hope and it's the beginning of an understanding of baptism. So, baptism, I've been telling, as, as, uh, as the people who are going to be baptized today have learned, I've been telling them that baptism means three things. Um, it's, it's actually two, but two has two parts. Of course, I can't make it that simple. Like, that's just not even in my nature. Um, so, but I can, I can make them alliterate. Um, so, uh, baptism uh, is a bath, and it is a birth. Baptism is a bath and a birth. And I think Romans 7 gets us close to the idea of why a bath is so, so hopeful. Um, it's sort of what I was talking to the kids about here. It, it is this idea that Paul is capable of saying not that I am a screw-up. I am a horrible person. I do these horrible things. Paul makes this distinction here that there's something I want, but there is something holding me back. There is something else that is inside of me that has me captive, that has a kind of hold on me. And what I want to first suggest in this idea of the bath, this idea that our hearts can be cleansed from sin, is, is, is just the good news that if our hearts can be cleansed from sin, what that means is that we are not fundamentally screw-ups. That we are fundamentally lovable. That there is somebody to love in the first place. I've been thinking a lot about um, a story I, I heard this week by um, somebody named Dorothy Martin. Dorothy Martin was a um, child psychologist, and she had the deeply fortunate luck of being married to a Bible scholar, and um, in particular, a Pauline scholar, so somebody who studied the Apostle Paul. And um, his name was J. Lewis Martin, and he was very well known, um, but, but uh, she was never in his shadow, never ever in his shadow. In fact, it ended up being a very fruitful relationship. And through that relationship, she could 
have theological insight in the work she was doing in child psychology. And one of the most powerful stories that she tells that I picked up was a story of a little girl that she calls Susie. We'll call her Susie, that's not her real name. Um, Susie brought up in a wonderful home, professional home, um, uh, professional parents, I should say, upper middle class, um, had everything she could ever need. Um, you know, if her name was Susie, it would sort of fit. And, um, but Susie was having some problems with her parents, some struggles. And so they brought her Dorothy, see Dorothy, could you help out? So Dorothy does something called um, play therapy. So uh, bring out the dolls and play with the kid and let's see what comes out of that. And uh, this sweet little girl, Susie, um, turns into somebody else in the play therapy. Um, the dolls at first, everything is going nice. And then all of a sudden, uh, Susie uh, starts reenacting these horrible situations. Um, atrocities, brutality. There's a lot of hate and rage in this little girl and it's shocking, frankly. It's shocking even to Dorothy, the child psychologist. Um, parents, of course, are there, they're present, they're sort of witnessing this and they're, they're seeing um, things that they never would have thought that their child was capable of with these dolls. And, and so then this, this question arises is what's inside little Susie? And how do we deal with it? How do we respond to this? And the very first thing that they do, the very first thing that um, Mother and Dorothy do for Susie is they enter into this play with her. And they accept, they accept what's coming. And they, they participate in it. Now, they're not saying everything's okay. They're not saying brutality is okay. They're not saying that this is an okay way to act. But the very first thing they do is they say, we're going to go here with you. We're going to walk into this muck with you. We're going to go down. And that is a picture of baptism. In baptism, we all go down into the water. And under the water, it's pretty mucky. It's pretty murky. Under the water, you can't actually live long. If you stay down, you're dead. It's a dangerous place to be. It's not a place we go very long, and I've told all the kids it's just a couple seconds. You know, it's a couple seconds, hold your nose, you'll be fine. But for Jesus, it wasn't a couple seconds. For Jesus, it was an entire lifetime. Jesus went down under the water, and he stayed down with us. He went there with us, and he would not come up to save himself, even though he was tempted to do so. He stayed underwater with us. And that was the experience of Susie, especially with her mom, because, because a lot of the anger, it turned out, was directed toward her mom. Um, and so there was a lot of, there was a lot, and her mom, her mom took it. Her mom absorbed it to her mom's great credit. Her mom absorbed a lot of that to try to understand and to love Susie and to show Susie something remarkable, which is this, that the relationship we had, she had with Susie was unconditional. It didn't matter what she did or what she said, she was gonna love her no matter what. We all, I'm a parent, we all as parents, we wanna do this, we wanna show our kids this. But what happened with Susie is that she had, well, the, the, the psychologist's word is internalized, but Dorothy prefers the word swallow. Dorothy had swallowed some things from her mother that weren't so healthy. 
Dorothy had swallowed some patterns that weren't so healthy. Dorothy had swallowed some jealousy and some anger and some rage that weren't so healthy. I mean, how else do we become humans, right? We just were little and we look around and we just swallow everything around us and that's how we become a self. <coughs> and that's what Susie had done. But here's the thing. The things she was swallowing from her mother, internalizing, whatever word you want to use, was things that her mom swallowed from her mom. And her mom had swallowed things from her mom. And her mom before her had been in a war and some terrible things had happened there. You could actually keep going back and back and back and then how far could you go? Paul says you can go all the way back to the beginning. And that's literally what he says. A few chapters before Romans 7, he says it goes all the way back to this, this individual named Adam who made some awful, awful decisions about how to love and how to be in the world and how to have a relationship with God and how to have a relationship with those around him. And he made these horrible decisions and these decisions were passed down, inherited, swallowed. Psychotherapy has names for this. Augustine calls it original sin. Paul talks a lot about it. His word is just sin, but you can think of it as sin with a capital S. It's this thing that holds us captive, this thing that's in us. How are we freed from this body of death? How do we get free of what we have swallowed? How do we get cleansed? And how do we have the new birth? Well, again, the first way was by Susie's mom entering into it, but that wasn't enough. You had to do the second step. And the second step was an alliance. An alliance between Susie and her parents and Dorothy to say, we're teaming up against this thing. This rage, these impulses, whatever it is, we're a team against that. That isn't you. It's no longer you. What is you is this relationship and this love. And that thing we're going to battle. I, uh, I love... Um, one, of the, one of the great things about this church is that we share space with um, people who uh, are in recovery. And for one reason or another, the Lord has, for the past, past 15 years, put me in extremely close proximity with people in recovery, either drug addiction, alcoholism, whatever it is. And I have, you've, if you've been here before, you know I, I speak very highly of the courage and the bravery of people going into and through recovery. There's a lot I could say. But sometimes I don't say this enough, that we, we have a disagreement, me and my friends in recovery, me and the people who meet downstairs. And one of the big disagreements that we have is that they are not alcoholics. Now, it's important for them in their recovery to name that. But I say fundamentally that they're not alcoholics. Fundamentally, they are loved by God. That's who they are deep down. That is the new birth that we experience in baptism. We've swallowed all these other things, but now Jesus says, swallow me. Paul uses the phrase, um, Christ is in us. It's just a little preposition. It does a lot of work. But what he's saying is, take my life and swallow that. Your parents weren't perfect and you swallowed it, fine. They swallowed their parents, fine. Your people around you, you swallow that, fine. 
Here's a perfect life, a life of perfect love. Internalize that. Swallow that life. Let that life be the life that makes up your life. That is the new birth. That is what Paul offers when he says, thanks be to God for the unspeakable gift of Christ's life. The gift that Christ gives is not a ticket. It is not a transaction. It is not um, a wand that sort of changes us. It is not, you know, you get to do this, you get to do that. It is not a fix. The thing that God gives us is Christ himself to live within us. And there's no competition. When Christ comes to live in us, all the other people that have come to live in us, they don't like, you know, they don't sort of balance each other out. They don't do battle. What happens is, is Christ's life overwhelms them. Paul says, where sin abounds, grace overabounds, hyperabounds, exponentially abounds. It gallops towards evil and sin and transforms it into something new, something else, something remarkable and wonderful that we would never have expected or anticipated. So then, this is obviously, I mean, not that I haven't complicated it already, but this is where it gets a little complicated. The birth actually means two things. Yes, it means a life, but you can't be born without a family. You can't be born by yourself. And so when you experience the new birth, you also experience receiving a family. Christ is the head of this family, but there's all these other people too. And it's a great, great gift. In the church, we like to say that water is thicker than blood. What that means is the waters of baptism are thicker than the blood of genetics and these kinds of things. It's good, it's good to have parents. It's good to have parents that love you. But parents are going to fail. Everyone's going to fail. The waters of baptism bring us into, except for you, Every, but the waters of baptism are going to bring us into, into something, something wholly new and wholly wonderful. Um, I, I like to think of uh, all of us. I, I often have this picture because I love doing this baptism. Uh, you know, we're going to be in a river, uh, or I will be in a river. The, the people being baptized will be in the river. And all of, all of you will be standing on the shore. And it's, I've always said it's important for you to be there. It's important for you to be on that shore. And it's important because this person coming out of the water, just like a baby comes out of the water, just that's not okay to leave a baby alone. That is not okay. And, uh, and so I ask all of you a question when I'm standing thigh deep in the water and freezing. I ask all of you a question. I say, are you willing to support this person in their life in Christ? And that's kind of a big commitment. And I hope you were able to take that seriously. Not, not that you wouldn't, but what I mean is it's a serious question. It means that these bonds that are created, these alliances that are created against sin, are not interchangeable. So just like Dorothy and her mother teamed up against what was going to happen or what was happening to little Susie. So we need to form an alliance with each other. We need to team up against things that are going to come at us. Um, I, uh, 
I had, I'll just say, I had a really good example of this this week where uh, a dear friend in our congregation sort of crossed over into our like other like normal life. I don't know. Church life feels normal to me because I've been doing it so long, but I'm just talking about like school life and all that kind of stuff. And so, um, and, and like, I, life is hard for me too. I know as a pastor, it seems weird, but like I also have times when life is tough. And uh, especially when it comes to my kids. And so my kids were in a tough spot. And uh, one of them in particular, and someone from our congregation was part of that. And I felt that alliance. You know what I mean? I, I, felt, I felt the alliance, the bond of love in that situation. And we needed it. And I'm really grateful for that. So there's, there's lots of ways that this happens. Um, but ultimately what baptism means is we have the new birth, a new life inside of us that we swallow, the life of Jesus Christ. And then it means that we have a new family, new bonds. Doesn't mean the old one goes away. In fact, what I would suggest is that the old one strengthens through all this. It can strengthen, just as Susie's bond with her mom strengthens. And then finally, it's the bath. We are not fundamentally anybody else other than people who are deeply loved by God. And we are not defined by our mistakes. We're not defined by our sins. We are defined by that love. Father, may, may we swallow this word, this good news of yours. May it be in us and form our being as people who are loved, as people capable of love. Free us and put us in service to grace. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. May the peace of Christ go with you wherever he may send you. May he guide you through the wilderness and protect you through the storm. May he bring you home rejoicing at the wonders he has shown you. And may he bring you home rejoicing once again into these doors. Amen. Go in peace.